0: I want to take you in, in the Bible this morning to Luke's Gospel and uh, the 22nd chapter and just to read to you uh, two verses and then share some things from there. I, I'm i a little bit nervous about my message this morning. I, it, it is very in your face and so I'm going to say it with a smile and I'm I really have this sense of urgency in my heart that God is raising his church to a whole new level yeah. for the times, the days, the cultural climate that we find ourselves in. And I believe he is calling his church, his people out of complacency, out of, of double standard living. He's calling his church to a, to a place where we're not religious, but we're in relationship and where he can strongly support those whose heart... Is completely his. That's what the Bible tells us. Um, a lot of people say, oh, God doesn't want your ability. He wants your availability. Well, there's an element of truth in that, but that's not entirely true either. He wants your heart. You, know, you can't just say, well, I'm available today, Lord, but tomorrow, the next couple of days, you just have to find somebody else. Um, you know, He doesn't want your availability. He wants your heart. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts belong to him. And uh, you know he doesn't need skill or or talent or ability. He can take a little boy's lunch and feed five thousand people. So you know what he needs is is a surrendered heart. And in Luke chapter twenty-two, in verse thirty-one, we read, "And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat." But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The phrasing of this passage in Luke 22 clearly tells us that Satan's request was granted. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. Satan has asked for you. He wants you that he might sift you like a farmer would sift wheat. Sifting is about shaking the wheat to separate the wheat from the chaff, to separate the usable from the unusable, to separate the dross, the, the stuff that is of no value out of the wheat so that which is of value can stand out and be utilized and used. And Jesus is saying, Peter, the devil has asked to do that to you. He wants to shake you. He wants to rattle your cage. He wants to gain access into the recesses of your soul. And I've granted that request. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give him what he's asking for. The response, the phrasing of that tells us that, that Jesus said, Peter, I'm, I'm going to let him confront you. I'm going to give him access. I'm going to step back. And I'm going to open the door because I want you, Peter, to ruthlessly deal with the baggage that has accumulated in your life as a result of the experiences that you have had to this point in the broken world that you have grown up in. And every single one of us have baggage. Every single one of us have fears and phobias and and emotional imbalances in our soul. And it's purely as a result of the the broken world that we've grown up in. Many of us have a rejection syndrome. Many of us have an inferiority complex. It's because of the broken world that we have grown up in. Many of us have become angry and many of us have become fearful and many of us have developed uh, all kinds of, of response mechanisms to the issues that we face in life because of the things that have happened to us in life. And it's, it's developed baggage in our soul that ultimately will hinder the purposes of God being outworked in our lives. And Jesus is saying, Peter, I want you to ruthlessly deal with all of that stuff. And the best way for you to deal with that stuff is for me to actually allow the devil to have access to sift you like wheat. I'm going to give him what he's asked for. Satan has asked for you. And that word asked comes from the Greek word, and I hope I pronounced this right. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fluent in Greek. The only Greek I know owns a fish and chip shop. Um, but the, word, the Greek word translated as asked is the word exetomei. Now, if you're a Greek scholar, don't correct me right now. You can correct me afterwards. But it literally means to demand for trial, to put on the stand and to cross examine, to scrutinize, to to investigate, to uncover, to prove guilt, to prove disqualification. It literally means to, to demand for trial. And, and Peter could, well, Jesus could have actually said to Peter Satan has demanded to put you on trial. Because there's things in your life that he believes will disqualify you from the life that I've called you to live. Things that he believes will disqualify you from the abundant life that I've, I'm about to die to give you. But the, the calling, the ministry, the, the, uh, the life that I have, have placed upon your life that I wrote in your book before time ever began, the... the the destiny that I have for you, before you were even born, before you were even conceived in your mother's womb, Peter, I I had this plan for you. And I, 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 I know that there is stuff in your life that if it's not dealt with, will disqualify you from fulfilling that plan. You know, the devil hated that Jesus had captured Peter's heart. When Jesus was walking on the on the sand and he came across Peter and he was a fisherman in his boat and he eyeballed Peter and there was something of a divine exchange that took place. There was something that happened in Peter's soul, in his heart, that, that was just not anything ordinary when he encountered anybody else in life. Something took place and Jesus captured his his heart so that when Jesus said, Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishes of men, Peter didn't question he didn't hesitate he didn't he didn't stop and contemplate he just he just put down his nets and followed and the devil hated the fact that something took place supernaturally that captured peter's devotion the devil hated the fact that peter was now learning to follow jesus and and at the time jesus said these words that satan has demanded you for trial Peter was already passionately serving kingdom purpose. He was already learning at the master's feet. He was already dealing with stuff in his life. He was already growing in in his wisdom and his knowledge and his understanding of the purposes of God. And the devil hated the fact that Peter was no longer living the self-centered life that he had lived for so long, but he was now being led away from that. The devil hated the fact that Jesus got a hold of his life and that Jesus was now, the one he was following rather than his own earthly dreams and desires. And so, as a result of him hating that, the devil began to make claims that Peter was unqualified. You see, the devil could see what was happening. The devil could see that Jesus was here to seek and to save that which was lost. And he could see firsthand Jesus plucking lost people out of the mud, out of the mire, out of the clay. And he was starting to put their feet upon a rock and he was starting to establish their pathway that was starting to bring blessing and increase and growth into their life. And he hated it with a passion. And so he then put a plan in motion to try and look for ways in which he could discredit, ways in which he could undermine, ways in which he could sabotage the the purpose of God, the call of God, the plan of God on Peter's life. And he does it today still with your life and my life. He looks for ways in which he can sift us to see if we are who we claim to be, to see if we are as authentic as we like people to think we are, to see if we are as genuine as we would like the world around us to believe we are. He, he's still seeking to scrutinize and test and discredit. And he was looking To discredit Peter, he was looking to find something that he could say, God, you cannot use this man because he refuses to deal with this. You cannot use this man because he refuses to address that. You cannot use this man because there's still sin in his life. The devil was seeking to scrutinize and he demanded a trial date to try and find grounds upon which to block the destiny that God had established For his life, and he began in the words of Revelation chapter twelve to bring accusation against Peter before God. You know, Revelation twelve, the accuser of the brothers—that's that's that's who we are, brothers. It includes sisters as well. He's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God day and night. But what's the point in accusing us? He's looking to find a way to stop us from fulfilling our destiny. I gave an illustration on this platform uh, a few weeks ago that that often. We live double standard lives. We live lives that are contradictory to God's word. We refuse to deal with stuff in our heart. We refuse to deal with the baggage that has accumulated in our life. But yet we still want God's blessing. We still want God's favor. We still want his healing power. We still want his strength. We still want him to give us the breakthrough that we so desperately want, but we're not willing to surrender. And the illustration I used is often we'll come to church Regardless of how we've lived all week, regardless of the fact we don't want to change or we don't want to address things in our life, but we still want the favor of God, we come to the altar and we ask God to give us breakthrough. And God, because he's so merciful and compassionate, gets off his throne. He comes down to meet us when the devil intercepts and says, hang on, you can't actually give him what he's asking for because you're a God of truth and you're a God of justice. And he wants breakthrough." But your, your word says that if anyone hears your word and does not do it, he's, he's like a man who builds his house on sand. And when the storms come, when the storm, not if they come, but when they come, then his house will crash. You know, until he actually hears your word and does it, your word says that he cannot get breakthrough. Your word says that if he hears it and doesn't do it then his house will crash so act and and the devil has a legal right to stop us getting what we're looking for and the devil is is you know when he came to Job uh, he came before God over Job God said to him, where have you come from? And he said, I've come roaming to and fro throughout the earth. What was he doing? Looking, investigating, checking, watching. He's watching what you do. He's watching your attitudes. He's watching what you engage in. He's watching your behavior. He's watching your conduct. He's watching the choices that you make so that he might find something to say. They call themselves a Christian, but they're not really hearing your word and doing it. They're living one way and then praising you with their hands. But God, your word says that they honor you with their lips, but their heart is far from you and you hate it. So therefore you can't. Can't give them what they're asking for. The devil was looking for grounds in which he could deny Peter his destiny. And he's looking for grounds from which he can use to deny you yours. I believe with all my heart that the reason there is so much frustration in the lives of God's people today, there is so much unfulfilled feelings, there's so much a sense of unfulfillment in their life, there is so much. Uh, annoyance and 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 striving and struggling you know and two steps forward five steps back that we just don't ever seem to be able to get the breakthrough we're looking for it's because we haven't completely surrendered to the lordship of Jesus It's because we want the best of both worlds. We, we want friendship with the world. And that's not talking about the people in the world. It's talking about the spirit of the world, the culture of the world, the practices of the world. We want to still engage in all that, but still have the blessing of God in the process. But it doesn't work like that. And he began to bring accusation against Peter, the one he bring bring accusation before God, the one who would call Peter out of darkness into his marvellous light, the one who had seen Peter on the beach, the one who had said, this is his time, this is his moment, this is his destiny now about to be stepped into. And the devil was was actively looking for something that could hold him back and the devil could see it coming. That Peter's destiny was about to unfold and it roused his anger. And he began to look for grounds to block his destiny. And you know the interesting thing about it? Peter knew nothing. About what was happening in the heavenly realm around him. Peter had no understanding, he had no insight of the battle that was raging in the unseen heavenly realm around us. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual rulers of wickedness in the what? The heavenly places. The unseen realm, there is a battle raging. Peter Peter could not see what was happening. Jesus had to reveal it to him and say, Peter, you've got to understand the devil has asked for you. He wants to sift you as wheat and I'm going to let him do it. Because I want you to stay tough, and I want you to ride this storm, and I want you to make it through, and I want you to make right choices, and I want you to forsake the things that I call you to forsake, so that you can be a, a clean vessel that I can flow through, that I can utilize, that I can use for kingdom purpose. And he he was he was targeting Peter relentlessly, and and you know we don't we don't see it happening in our life. All we feel is unfulfilled. All we feel is frustrated. All we feel is this sense of why won't God give me the miracle that I'm looking for? Why won't God give me the breakthrough that I'm crying out for? Why won't he give me the healing that I so need in my body? Is it because the devil has grounds? Has he got a claim on you? Because there is something in you that is unsurrendered. You know, Just because we have prayed a sinner's prayer does not mean that I can still do what I like when I like and at the same time live under the blessing and favor of God. It's a delusion to believe that. And it's a lie that has crept into the house of God today. And people call it cheap grace. Grace was not cheap, believe me. But I understand why they phrase it like that. It's like, well, it's okay now. I'm under the blood. I've got Jesus. I can do what I want. No, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He calls us to follow him. He calls us to, to take up our cross. Our cross speaks of our own personal death. It speaks of us dying to our dreams, dying to our aspirations, dying to our wants and desires and saying, Jesus, I belong to you. You've saved me. You've bought me with a price. I am not my own. Therefore, I will glorify you in my body. The choices that we make, are they glorifying God? The behaviors that we're engaging in, are they glorifying God? Are we walking the walk that we talk so often about. And I'm absolutely convinced that the reason we're not seeing the breakthroughs, we're not seeing the healings, is because the devil has claim over something in our life. Let me make a bold statement. The devil reigns where Jesus does not. The devil rules where Jesus does not. Whatever area in our life that we have not surrendered to Jesus, the devil is in control of. There is only two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. You might say, well, no, it's me that's ruling. It's not really Jesus, I understand, but it's not the devil. It's me. The devil wants you ruling the devil wants you self-focused the devil wants you self-centered he wants you chasing your dreams your desires rather than his plan and his purpose for your life you know let me let me let me bring this a little bit closer to home and this might make some of you uncomfortable but if you have a bent if you have a tendency in your life to manipulate and control people and situations in order to get what you want. That is a wicked, ungodly trait in your life. The Bible actually likens manipulation to witchcraft. So if we engage in emotional manipulation and we try and make people feel bad so they will respond to what I need, that that is a wicked, ungodly trait. And let me tell you something, the devil knows it. The devil knows it. He saw it in Queen Jezebel. I was just reading this morning some of the story of Queen Jezebel. It's not pretty. She was one of the most manipulative controlling people on the planet if she could not get her own way she would engineer people to be taken out it was it was evil at the highest degree this woman would manipulate and control people's emotions people's uh situations she would move in and engineer circumstances that would would cause an outcome to give her what she wanted let me let me say this to you I've been a leader in the church now for over 30 years, and I have seen so much of that spirit operating in the house of God. People who are just, they don't think twice about, well, I don't really want to go there, so they start manipulating. I really want them to do something for me, so they start manipulating. It's an ungodly trait. And if you study the story of Jezebel, it produced an outcome in her life that was not what she was destined to be. I believe with all my heart that Jezebel's destiny was a good destiny. All her days were mapped out before one of them ever began. She too was seen by God in her mother's womb before she was born. God still had a plan for her life, but because of the choices she made and the behavior and the conduct that she engaged in, it gave the devil an inroad, which ultimately gave him a foothold. And like a hawk swooping on a field mouse, he took that woman out in the most disgusting, vile way you could imagine. Imagine She was thrown from the top of a tower and dogs ate her carcass. That spirit, though, is not dead. The spirit of manipulation and control is still alive and it's unsurrendered flesh in our life. And where Jesus does not reign, the devil does. And if we are like that, he knows that and it gives him a claim to block our destiny. God, I need a breakthrough God gets to give you, the devil says hang on they're manipulative they're controlling they you know you said in your word that that is like the sin of witchcraft you're not surely God you're not into witchcraft and God looks at the devil and says yeah you have a right to block their destiny you have a right to block their destiny and, and it's like the devil sees it and he, he, he sifts us like wheat, looking for that kind of stuff in our soul that is unsurrendered. And he will use it to stop you getting your breakthrough. Manipulating to get your own way is a wicked character trait and undealt with. It will lead you. I'm having trouble with this. It will lead you down the same pathway as the original Queen Jezebel. If you chase after money more than you chase after God, if money and the pursuit of money and the gathering of money gets more of your devotion than Jesus does, that will give the devil a claim to block your destiny. How do I know that? Because of what the Bible says. The Bible said, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, the desire, the hunger for money. Now, I know some of you sitting here would say, well, that's not my problem. I don't have any money to love. I, I get that. But most people with the love of money don't actually have money. They're obsessed with getting it. They're obsessed with hanging on to it. They want to win the lotto. They're just waiting for the big one to drop. And they're more consumed with a break, a lucky break, a a, a door that'll just open to just give them their chance at being somebody finally in life. And the love of money, you know, it will will drive you to a place where the devil will get a foothold and he again will get a stronghold and he will use that as a claim. He'll sift you and he'll find the love of money in your heart. That is not surrender to Jesus. And he'll say to God, I I actually have a right to block their destiny because your word says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And guess who the main root of evil is? It's me. And I am going to grab access to their soul because of the love of money. And I'm going to begin to spring up all kinds of roots of bitterness and evil and pain and suffering in their life because I have a right to because your word says the love of money is the root of all evil and they refuse to surrender it to you it's a sign of a lack of faith and trust in you God and your word actually says that without faith it's impossible to please you so they're not even pleasing to you so you can't show mercy to them and God has to sit back down on his throat because of our unsurrendered issues with the love of money it frightens me in this day and age, the amount of people who miss so much church because they just got to work every Sunday. It frightens me the amount of people who just stay home because they're they're so focused on their stuff that God just takes a back seat. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about a specific person, but It's common to a lot of people I've seen over the years where people just get sidetracked and they start engaging in conduct and behavior that is contrary to God's word and they start drifting away from church and next minute they're shacked up with somebody, they're having children out of wedlock, whatever whatever the case might be in whatever situation and it, it, it surprises me the amount of those people that I've crossed paths with in the street And they're very quick to tell me, we still love God. We still love Jesus. We we still read the Bible. We still pray. It's like, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a delusion. And the devil is the deluder. And there's coming a time like the thief in the night's when you least expect it, people will be marrying and giving in marriage. People will be eating and drinking. The context, as it was in the days of Noah, the context of that isn't, isn't about debauchery. What it's saying is people will be just going about their everyday business. People will be marrying. There'll be weddings and celebrate. People will be giving their daughters in marriage. There'll be celebrations. There will be lots of drinking and and cheering and singing and shouting. And and it's like, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. There'll be this this complacency in the house of God. and, 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 And like a thief in the night, he'll come when we least expect it. And I think if we're chasing after things rather than chasing after God if our devotion is in things, there's going to be an awful lot of us who are going to be shocked. awful lot of us are going to be terrorized, frightened. I hope this is okay. You know, if you have a foot in the church and a foot in the world where you live a double standard, even a secretive life, where you're one thing in church, but you're another thing elsewhere, the Bible calls it hypocrisy. And how many of you, if you've read the Gospels, how many of you know Jesus hated above anything else was the hypocrisy of the religious people of the day? He hated it with a passion. The Bible calls it hypocrisy when we are one thing in church, but we, we live a double standard life. He, God hates it. But you know the scary thing? The devil knows it. And so he'll keep feeding that. He'll keep fueling that. He'll sit on your shoulder and he'll start to say, it's cool. It's okay. You're under the blood. The grace of God will cover you of all this sin. He knows you're weak. He knows that you can't can't live for him. You know, It's like he will fuel it and feed it. And we step into this cheap mentality of, if I can live how I want, do how I want, and the blood of Jesus will just look after it all. That is actually unsound doctrine. Oh, tell me this is okay. Only a few of you. (laughs) Dear. The devil saw it in Ananias and Sapphira. He saw it in Ananias and Sapphira and he had a case against them. You know, he, he had a strong case against it. He saw the undealt with sin and it gave... the devil, a foothold. They were more caught up with looking for the approval of men than the approval of God. And they wanted to appear more generous in the eyes of the church than they actually really were. They didn't want to be generous, but they wanted to be known as generous. And they began to live this double standard life, appearing to be one thing on Sunday, but actually doing another somewhere else. And the people thought they were fantastic, but the devil could see it all. And so could the Holy Spirit. And you know, the scary thing is, as a result of that, that unsurrendered, baggage in their soul that had this driving thing. I've got to be seen to be okay. I've got to be seen to have it all together. I've got to be seen to be healthy and whole and spiritual and sound. I've got to be seen to be a man of the word. Even though I'm not, I've got to be seen to be that way. The devil sees it and he uses it as a claim and you come for a breakthrough and everybody's going, why aren't they getting their breakthrough? They're so godly. They're so... this." So committed, they're so dedicated to their call. Why? We prayed and we prayed. Maybe we lack faith. No, maybe the devil's got a case against them. Maybe the devil can see the double standards. Maybe the devil can see the lack of genuine character and faith and it's just a facade in their life. And Ananias and Sapphira, all their days were set apart for them before any of them ever began. And before they were formed in their mother's womb, God saw them and God had a plan and a purpose. And he has a plan to prosper us and bless us, give us a future. And don't tell me Ananias and Sapphira's journey wasn't one of blessing, wasn't one of their destiny. It was God's plan. But because of the choices they made and the choices they didn't make, the devil took them out of the game, took them out of the race, that's a New Testament example. They dropped dead in the presence of the apostles. You have to ask yourself how many people have dropped dead. And we don't know. We won't know until eternity. We won't know till judgment day exactly what it was that caused that. Double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know if you if you live by double standards, if you're one thing here and another thing somewhere else, you know, God give me a breakthrough. Hang on, God. You can't give them a breakthrough because your word says that a double-minded man, James 1, verse 8, I believe it is, a double-minded man, somebody who lives one way here and another way. He's a double-minded man, and a double-minded man is unstable in some of his ways. No. He's unstable in all of his ways and I've got him, I've got him right where I want him because he's so double. He won't draw a line in the sand and say, I'm surrendered to Jesus. He'll say, I want want the best of this, but I don't want to leave this. And he's going to be unstable in his marriage. He's going to be unstable in his work. He's going to be unstable in his emotions. And I've got him right where I want him. And God sits down and says, I can't do a thing for him because... I did say, and I do remember saying, God's got a very good memory that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If you have grown... Oh my goodness, it's 11 o'clock. If you have grown... This is a sensitive one. You have grown or you have risen to a place of influence with God's people whether you've risen in leadership or risen in popularity or because people see you at a certain level of maturity or spirituality, if you have risen or you have grown to a place of influence amongst God's people and from that place you allow yourself to become offended, it will ultimately lead you to becoming a bad example Amongst God's people of dangerous proportions. You know, I have seen men and women over the years of leadership, men and women who once were upright, once were loyal, once were committed to the house of God, have allowed offense into their heart. And as a result, they have become instruments of strife and division. Rather than instruments of grace and hope and life, they become instruments of strife and division within the very church they once claimed to serve. The devil knows the power of offense. The Bible actually tells us that it's A man offended is harder to win than a strong city. And offenses are like the bars of a castle. When you allow offense into your heart and into your life, you can actually become a pawn of the devil. And you don't think you are because we don't see what's happening in the unseen realm. I've seen some of the most disgusting, divisive behavior in the house of God as a result of people becoming offended. People who once served faithfully, loyally, committedly, they now become instruments of strife and division. You saw it in Absalom. He saw it in Absalom. You study the life of Absalom. He was a man who became offended. And his end was just like Jezebel. Let me, let me say this. Undealt with inner issues of the soul became fuel for the devil to use in every one of those cases. What is unsurrendered in your life? You know, if we are not consciously... And humbly living a devoted life to Jesus. If we are not consciously and humbly living a devoted life to Jesus, applying the blood of Jesus to our daily walk, but we are doing things flippantly in contradiction to God's word, you are separated from God. Now that's a heavy statement. I know some of you right now are thinking, "Hey, whoa, hang on a minute." You know what can separate me from the love of God? Neither height nor depth, nor prince, what well, there's nothing or oh, yes there actually is. That that scripture applies to those who are in Christ. Not those that are in church, those that are in Christ. There's a big difference. Let me show you a couple of scriptures and then I'm going to land this thing. This is New Testament. Hebrews 10, 26 to 27. It's up on the screen. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. If we continue sinning, the double standard life, Having received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sin. Sin still separates. You've got to understand that. That has not changed. The Old Testament says your sin has separated you from your God. Oh, no, 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 I'm now now in Christ. Why? Because you pray the sinner's prayer and because you now go to church regularly. That does not make you in Christ. Someone who is in Christ hears his word and does it. Someone in Christ is surrendered. Someone in Christ will open their heart and say, Search me, O God. Try me, know me. I've said this, it doesn't mean you've got to be perfect. I still have so much undealt with stuff in my life that I'm constantly trying to bring before God because I want to be molded and shaped into His image. That's the posture He wants to work with. It's not you've got to be instantly perfect. It's saying, I have so many imperfections, God, come in and help me deal with them. That's surrender. But it's when we refuse and say, well, I'm still going to church, but I'm just going to live how I want. You're in trouble, my friend. Sin still separates if we choose to play with it. 1 John 1, to 6-7. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus. His Son cleanses us from all sin. So you see, if we, if we are walking in darkness and we're just coming to church, you are separated from God. That's what the New Testament teaches This is straight out of the big ones in the New Testament. You know, that that word darkness is the Greek word skotos. If we say we have fellowship with God, but yet we walk in skotos, it means shady, of dubious, questionable character. It's describing people who are deceitful, who are underhanded, who mishandle the truth, they're dishonest, yet who still hypocritically claim to follow Jesus. Another one out of the New Testament. You haven't got this one, Ben. It's not. It's just sitting in my heart right now. You are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. You got one foot in the world, one foot in the church. And he said, I'd rather you're hot, I'd rather you're cold. I'd rather you just draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not having this stuff. I'm just going to live the way I want to live. I can handle that better than someone who comes and lifts their hands, claiming to be following me when their life is actually living so contradictory to what they claim to believe. He said, you are lukewarm. And, And he said to the church, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Folks, it's time for us to clean up our act. It's time for us to surrender it's time for us to yield it's time for us to say jesus time is short time is running out We've got to start living for you. We've got to start serving you. We've got to start giving you our talent. We've got to pull that talent up out of the ground and we've got to start moving forward. I don't want to be somebody whose love grows cold. As Paul said to Timothy, will happen in the last days where people will become offended in the church and they will betray one another and they will lie about one another and they will do all manner of evil against one another. This is all in the house of God. Paul said it's happening in the last days. It's going to take place. I don't want to be like that. Jesus said, blessed are the people Peacemakers, not the troublemakers. I don't want to be a troublemaker in the house of God. I don't want to be an instrument of strife. I don't want to be an instrument of division. I want to be a peacemaker because the peacemakers will be called what? The sons of God. What will troublemakers be called if we're not the sons of God? Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And he was talking to the religious people. I hope you hear in the context of this message. I hope you hear the spirit of it. This is not condemning. This is calling you out of that place of double-mindedness. It's calling you out of that place of hypocrisy. It's calling you out of that place of manipulation and control. It's calling you to a place of Jesus. I surrender my life. I I want my behavior, my conduct, to glorify you, to honor you. I want the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable to you, and. I don't want the devil to have a claim on anything. I I honestly believe when the church comes to that place of genuine, wholehearted, 100% surrender, miracles will break out, healings will break out. Breakthroughs will begin to happen. Lives will begin to change. Marriages will be restored. Kids will be brought back to their families. Addictions will be broken. People will be set free because revival is not about just people getting saved. Revival in the church is about a revival of our passion and our devotion to Jesus. That's what's going to bring about the miracles we're so lacking today. I hope you don't hate me. I hope you don't hate me. I would rather bring a message that just makes you feel good. But you know, the devil wants me to bring those messages because he wants you to stay complacent. He doesn't want you sold out. He doesn't want you living for Jesus. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we continue sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice to sin, but if we stop, surrender, confess that sin, the sacrifice is applied, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. You know, let me close with this verse, Acts three nineteen. Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what happens when we surrender. Refreshing comes into our soul. Refreshing comes into our mind. Refreshing comes into our family, into our home. Refreshing comes into the house of God. Refreshing comes into our, 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 our endeavours, our, our ministries, our, our efforts for Jesus. When we're, when we're living from that place of, ref- of surrender, refreshing begins to flow. Rivers of blessing begin to flow. Rivers of life begin to flow. Jesus is calling his church to surrender. And I believe more than ever, we are in the last of the last days. It may be 10 more years. It may be 20. It may be 50 more years. But we are seeing stuff happening right now around our world. That is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy like I have never seen before. And he's coming. He's coming. The king is coming and he's coming soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's stand together. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would hover over this congregation. And Lord, you begin to draw the hearts of your people back to you. Those, Lord, that have just been sitting here disengaged, disinterested, coming because they feel somehow there's an obligation to come because it's what I've always done. It's what I've always done and I need to keep doing it because somehow I think that'll just appease God's heart. But Lord, again, it's an honouring you with our lips when our heart is so far from you. Lord, you said a sacrifice, an offering you do not desire, but a body yielded and surrendered as a vehicle for your kingdom to use. Lord, maybe there are people that are here, they've been coming because... They've been dragged along. Maybe they're not old enough yet to make their own decisions and they've been dragged along and they, and they just, just really don't. I mean, they've heard the truth and they've heard the stories and they've heard the Word of God. They've heard the preaching. They've, they've seen it all, but yet, Lord, there's something just not connected. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would right now impact their life with your presence. I pray, Lord, for those that are away from you, those, Lord, that are distant, those, Lord, that are even saying, I, I can identify now with behaviors that I engage in that are ungodly, that's giving the devil a foothold. And I, I want to deal with that behavior. I want to be a surrendered vessel. I, I, I want to be a peacemaker in the house of God. I, I want to be a person who, when I am used and abused, that I pray for those who use and abuse me. I, I want to be a person who blesses those who persecute me. Say people who say all manner of evil against me. I, I want to be an instrument of your life and your grace. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw each of us to a place of absolute surrender to you. Maybe you've come into the meeting this morning while well, eyes are closed, heads about you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Let me tell you something you live in a world today that is spiraling down fast, and you may not know what's in the Bible, but I've been reading the Bible now for 30, nearly 38 years. And what's happening in our world today is a fulfillment of biblical scripture of what has been declared thousands of years ago. It's happening right around us. It's it's a frightening, scary thing. You don't have to be a part of that. You can be swept this morning into the kingdom of God, into the embrace of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hung on a cross and died in our place. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are sinners lost without Jesus, but He came and He died in our place so that the wages of sin could be met. And He could then open the way of giving us the free gift of eternal life. If you're in the meeting today, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you'd like to do that right now, I'm going to invite you while eyes are closed, heads about, to raise your hand right where you are. Thank you. Someone else. Thank you. Down the back there, you can put your hand down. Someone else this morning. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You want to do this today. Thank you. this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Help me today to overcome those things that are holding me back. Help me today to walk out of this place with a new level of devotion to you. I confess that I am a sinner. And without Jesus and the cross... I am lost, but I receive today what Jesus did on that cross. And I crown him the Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Cleanse me of all sin. Amen.